What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? They'll go easy on me, won't they, Mr. Ness? Three murders in two weeks? I'll go easy with you, all right. I'll put a cushion on the electric chair. So let it be written. So let it be done. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. All righty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you here. Thanks for stopping by for another episode of Stories. Today's stories, we're going to talk about my dad again. Yes, we're talking about my dad again. I know I've done an episode about my dad, but I love my dad. He was a great guy, so I have to talk about him. He was probably the most important figure in my life. I mean, mom was right there too. I'm not, it's like one in one A. I'm not short shrifting mom on this one, but dad was like the figure. He was definitely the head of the household and he was, I mean, he was my hero. He was my dad. I don't know how to describe it any other way except to say he was my hero. He didn't have superpowers. He didn't do anything miraculous. He was just a guy who lived his life, supported his family, did his thing to the best of his ability every single day. He was a caring, compassionate person. He was there when you needed him. Of course he had his shortcomings. Of course he was not a perfect man, but he was a great guy. And I loved him. And I wanted to share some more stories about him with you. So that's what we're going to do. Because I think my dad deserves to be remembered. He was a great person and really underappreciated. And there are so many little stories to tell about him. There are so many little things. But today's stories are going to be about those bonding moments, I guess, you get with your father as you're growing up. Now, my father was not a traditional father like a lot of fathers are. My dad was not a hunter. He didn't go hunting. He didn't go fishing. He didn't go hiking. He was not an outdoorsman of any kind. He didn't get into that kind of thing. My dad also wasn't into sports. He was not a golfer. He didn't play basketball or baseball or football, which was kind of crazy to me. I mean, I told you in the, the Father's Day episode I did, my dad was on crew when he was in college. That's that, that sport where you sit in those long skinny boats and row. That's what my dad did, and he was very good at it, from what I understand. I don't know that much about his days on crew. I just remember he was on crew, and I have this picture of him standing there in his letterman's shirt from the University of Pennsylvania, where he was on the crew. And uh, he looked like a strapping young man who was very athletic. But he never played sports. When I was growing up, that was a weird thing for me because a lot of the other fathers in the neighborhood did play sports. If we had a kid's game of softball or a kid's game of football or a kid's game of kickball going on, some of the fathers would come out and join in. They would pitch for us or they'd throw the ball for us or they'd shoot hoops with us. Whatever it was, you know, one or two of the fathers would wander out. My dad never did that. I shouldn't say never. Because one of the memorable moments that I have from my dad coming out to join us is one of those rare occasions we had a softball game and my dad came down from the house. We had, as I've said, a 300-foot driveway. So that was a long walk for dad. (laughs) You would think he was hiking to Nebraska, but no, he was just walking to the end of the driveway. But he didn't usually do that when we were out playing. He would stand on the front porch and holler for us to come in. He never came to get us. But for whatever reason, this one day we were across the street playing in Vinny's yard. You've heard me talk about Vinny. He was the one with the big yard where we had the softball field. And my dad wandered down to see what we were doing. 
whatever the reason, he was inspired that day to come check us out, so he did. Now, my dad, as I sit here thinking about it, I remember the vision, because my dad was a vision. My dad was a fashion plate. If you, if you could imagine the prototypical dad wearing the worst possible combination of clothes, that was my dad. My dad didn't give a damn what anybody thought. He put on comfortable clothes to do whatever he was doing. If he was working, he'd grab his work shirt. If he was playing, he'd grab his play shirt. If, he'd, if he was going out in the heat, he'd grab whatever shorts were around. And whatever boots or shoes or sandals were around, he slapped them on his feet. He didn't care. I mean, he wore a suit for his job. He wore a suit and tie and was impeccably dressed whenever he went to work. But when he was at home playing or hanging out, or just sitting and watching TV, whatever he could put on to cover himself up, that's what he put on. So this day when we were out playing softball, it was no different. And we were on the field playing softball, and one of the neighbor dads was out there, and my dad came strolling down the driveway and across the street to see what we were doing. And I leapt up and said, Dad, Dad, why don't you play with us? Be on my team, be on my team. And for once... Dad said, yes, okay. And he sauntered over to where we were, and I was so excited to have Dad join us on the softball field. Now, the vision that I saw was this. My dad, six foot three, probably 250 pounds at this point, he had on his traditional white V-neck T-shirt. He rarely wore a regular T-shirt. They had V-necks. I don't know why, but that was his uniform of the day when he wasn't working, the white v-neck t-shirt on this particular day he was wearing a pair of bermuda shorts for those who don't know bermuda shorts go down to just about knee level and they had some kind of a plaid pattern on them there was some white and yellow and blue this is how important this was to me i remember what he was wearing i don't remember what i wore yesterday but i remember what my dad was wearing years ago when he sauntered out to the softball field with us and then there was the piece de resistance. He was wearing his white athletic socks and a pair of black combat boots left over from his days in the army. Picture this, if you will. White V-neck t-shirt, bluish yellow Bermuda shorts, and black combat boots, and he comes out to play softball with us. Oh my God. In this day and age, I would have died of embarrassment because, oh my God, parents are embarrassing their kids. I was just glad to have him out there. It was, it was great having him out there. And he stepped up to the plate and the other team pitched to him and he took one swing. And I just remember he smacked the crap out of the ball down to right field. And that man started doing some kind of a run, more like a combat boot shuffle. The man didn't run knees to chest. He was not hustling down the line. It was kind of like watching a clown hustle down the first base line, and he had this goofy smile on his face. It was the funniest thing I ever remember seeing him do, was hustling down the first base line in his black combat boots and Bermuda shorts. And I was just delighted that he was out there with us playing softball. I don't remember anything else about the day. I just remember that outfit, and that moment of him hustling down the first baseline in combat boots. But that was one of the rare occasions. Usually, if I wanted to have bonding time with my dad, it was one of a couple of things that I could do. He would spend time puttering around in the basement. 
And in the basement, he had, these are the days before a man cave. Instead of a man cave, he had what was called the workbench. Now, the workbench was not just a bench. It was an entire area of the basement. Because over the years, he'd acquired cabinets that he'd filled with tools and with screws and nuts and other hardware, jars of nails, jars jars of fasteners, anything you could imagine in a hardware store. My dad had found it at various auctions and garage sales over the years. He had developed this way, for instance, of storing parts on the ceiling. What they used to have was glass baby food jars that you would buy at the grocery store and you would have the baby food in it, of course, and you would scoop it out and put the food on a plate and throw the jar away. My dad would save these jars, and then he had fashioned a two-by-four that he had nailed to the ceiling, and then he had taken the metal lid off of the jars and nailed the lids to the two-by-four. And then he would take each of the jars and fill them with whatever part he wanted to store, whether it was screws or hex bolts or hex nuts or lock washers or whatever it was. And then he would screw the jar into the ceiling. Now, the only one who could reach it was him because he was the only one who could reach the ceiling, but he was the only one who needed to reach it. But instead of having to put shelves in or buy extra cabinets, he had rows of two-by-fours in the rafters in the basement filled with jars full of parts. That's how he stored things, and that's how he organized things. So if I wanted to spend bonding time with Dad while he was in the basement, I would go down there and say, Dad, do you have any sorting to do? Because I had learned over the years that there was always sorting to do. Now, by sorting, I mean he would have bowls and bowls and boxes and boxes full of these nuts and bolts and nails and screws and washers that he had accumulated at these sales over the years. And so the sorting involved me or him, but me when I went down to volunteer, taking a bowl or a box of these various mixed pieces of hardware, spreading them out on a card table he would set up for the purpose, and sorting them into the correct box, bin, jar, or pile, so that all of the, all of the wood screws were in one pile, all of the metal screws were in another pile, All of the hex nuts were in another pile. All of the carriage bolts were in another pile. And then we would get little boxes or jars or whatever container he could find and put all of them in the appropriate box. And then he would label the boxes and put them on the shelves so that he would always know, well, here's the wood screws. And yes, we have a box of wood screws. Let's pick one out that we need for this particular job. Oh, we need a nut? I'm sure we have one. And he had boxes of nuts. So over the years, I would go down and sort things with Dad. Now, we didn't have any in-depth conversations while I was doing this. My dad was not a talker. But we were together, and we were sharing time together, and I got to see him do whatever he was working on, whatever it might be. And he was a handy guy. I mean, for instance, one Christmas he made my sister a dollhouse from scratch made out of wood. Another time he made a rocking horse for my youngest son. At other times he would build things for my mother, whether it was a little step stool or a frame for a piece of her art or whatever it was, he would fashion it in the shop. After he passed, while I was cleaning out the basement, I found, for instance, five vacuum cleaners, none of which worked. 
but he kept them because you never know when you're going to need a part, whether it's a piece of hose or a belt or an extra wheel or a light bulb. He would scavenge the pieces off of these old things in order to reuse them on not new things, but less old things. My dad would never buy things new if he could find them at an auction or at a garage sale for much less than bust out retail. So he would hold on to these things, the nuts and the bolts and the screws and the five vacuum cleaners and the six brooms that he might have sitting in the basement. So that was bonding time. I would help him sort all of the hardware he had and I would get to watch him do what he was doing. But as I said, not a lot of conversation, just just some time together. The other time we would spend time together is on Saturdays. Saturday was his day. Some fathers go out hunting. Some fathers go out golfing. Some will go out on the boat and fish all day or go hike up to the river and fish all day. And they would spend the day doing it. And I know fathers that did this and they would take their sons or daughters to go do this. That was their thing. That was not my dad. He didn't do any of that stuff. His hobby was auctions. The auction hobby started on Thursdays because that's when the papers came out with the listings for that week. And he would go at it like a general planning and invasion. He would pull the classified ads out of the two newspapers that came out. One was the Hunterdon County Democrat and the other was the Observer Tribune. And I remember that because I had to go buy the papers if they weren't in the store when he passed by. I would have to go down later in the morning to make sure that he had the copies of the papers that he needed. And then Thursday nights after work, he would sit in his chair and he would go over the classifieds. And back in those days, they had lots of different auctions. They would have the country auctions at a farm. They'd have estate sales. Back in those days, there was four or five auctioneers making the rounds, and they always had auctions within between a half hour and an hour of the house. And Dad would sit down, and he'd see what the addresses were, and he'd figure out, well, let's see, if I go to this one first, I can get to this one by 11 o'clock, and then I could get to this one by noon, and I could finish up if I swing by here. Now, he would start his Saturday, crack of dawn. He would be up by 7 at the latest, taking his shower, getting his car ready, getting the rope in there to tie things to the car if he needed to, get the packing paper and the packing pads in case he had big things to move, and he'd be on the road by eight. And he always made the offer, So, would you like to come to an auction with me this week? And sometimes we would and sometimes we wouldn't, because the problem with going with Dad on Saturday was it was a full-day commitment. If you wanted to spend time with Dad, you had to go to the auction with him, And you had to plan the day because he would not come home most Saturdays before four o'clock in the afternoon. Now, as a kid, Saturday is your day off, too. You want to go hang out with your friends. You want to watch cartoons in the morning. You want to go play games, whatever it is. You don't want to get up and be out the door by 8 a.m. and then not be home till four. That's the whole day. But by the same token, if you wanted to spend time with dad and I did want to spend time with dad. So it was always a battle internally. Oh, I'd love to spend time with Dad. But we got a great game of kickball coming up later. Oh. But I wound up spending probably one Saturday a month going to auctions with my dad. As I got older, the numbers dropped off. But when I was younger, that that sweet spot between the ages of like 10 and 14, probably once a month is when I went on auction trips with my dad. And that's where I learned his style and where I learned how to negotiate. That's where I learned the tricks of the auction trade. 
Oh, you never bid on the first thing they throw out. If they started at ten, if you bid on it, you really look like a rookie, like you don't know what you're doing. What you do is you wait for the auctioneer to drop the price. So, for instance, if the bid starts at ten, you don't bid ten. Even if you really want it, you wait till it goes down to five. Because if the auctioneer doesn't get ten, they're going to back it down to five. And if they don't get five, they're going to back it down to three. And if they don't get three, they're going to back it down to one. So it depends on how badly you want something. But even if you want it more than anything you've ever wanted in the world, you still don't bid 10 on it. You still wait for it to go down to 5. Because if somebody else bids 10 on it, you're never going to get it for the price you want because that idiot is going to start at 10 and it's going to go up to 15, 20, 25. Or they're going to get it for 10, in which case it was overpriced to begin with. These are the things that I learned at my father's knee at the auctions. And I learned all the slick moves too. I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. My dad had this move at the auction. He would just, that hand of his would go out like a cobra. He'd snap the finger like that as soon as he was putting his bid on, and his snap would pop like the retort of a gun. I don't know how he did it. His hands were huge, and his thumbs were meaty, and maybe that's how he had that snap pop like a gun. But boy, everybody heard that snap when my dad would snap. Plus, the fact that he was 6'3 and 250 pounds didn't hurt either. He was a presence. So that hand would snap out like a cobra, the snap would go, and they'd get his bid whenever he was bidding on an item. So I learned that technique. I also learned about wonder boxes that you get at auctions. A wonder box is a box you bid on because the price is right. And then you look at it when you get home and you wonder what the hell you were thinking by bidding on that stupid thing because it's full of crap. The wonder boxes would always come up at the end of auctions and it would be all the stuff at the back of the shop or the back of the kitchen and it would consist of these boxes of screws and nuts and bolts, for instance, or various household products or seven shoes, some of them matching. You never know what you were going to get in a wonder box, which is why you wondered why you bought it when you got home. But he was the king of getting the wonder boxes for a buck a piece, 50 cents a piece. And the back of the car would be loaded up with these wonder boxes. We'd sort through them when we got home. And sure enough, you'd find something good in those wonder boxes that was worth the buck that you spent on it. Oh, well, look, here's a perfectly good hammer. Never mind that he already had six hammers. This hammer's worth a dollar by itself. Wow, look at this. A bag of vacuum cleaner bags. It's never been opened. Okay, but Dad, we don't have a vacuum that matches it. Well, we will. You never know. Okay. Oh, look at this. It's a half a bottle of bleach. Dad, bleach is like a buck at the store. Yeah, well, I got a half a bottle of bleach plus a bag of vacuum cleaner bags. Uh, Okay, Dad. I mean, you can't argue with that. You did save money. And if we ever do get an Electrolux Model 1750, we now have vacuum cleaner bags for it. So good job. Good job. So that was auction time with my dad. I have two other memorable stories about my dad that I I wanted to share. Both of them involve him coming to save my bacon in one way or the other. The first involves a trip that I took to Great Adventure with my sister. Great Adventure, for those who don't know, is uh, like one of the Six Flags parks. It's one of those giant amusement parks with roller coasters and rides and all the shows that you get at the Six Flags places. The one near us in New Jersey is called Great Adventure. And so my sister and I drove down one summer afternoon 
and we wanted to spend the day at Great Adventure. Now, Great Adventure is a little more than an hour away from where we lived. And I remember taking the drive with my sister, uh, and we spent the day and had no problems at all until we got done with the day. And we roll out of the park as it's closing right around 9, 9.30 and get to my car, and it wouldn't start. Would not start. Dead as dead can be. Misses the days, of course, before cell phones. I didn't have AAA, so I wasn't getting a tow anywhere. All I had was a couple of quarters in my pocket and the house phone number, and only one person to come rescue us. Dad. Now, as I mentioned, my dad did not like going out. He didn't hunt. He didn't fish. He didn't go places. Once he got home at the end of the day, he was pretty much settled in for the night. So for him to get a call from me at 9.30 saying, Dad, I need you to drive more than an hour from the house and come pick me up, he was not in a good mood. At the phone call, or at the drive, or by the time he came to pick us up. But he came. There wasn't any hesitation. He came and picked us up. Now, could he have been a tiny bit more gracious about it? Yeah. (laughs) Because when he got there, I could see the steam coming off of his head before he even got to Great Adventure. It was a steam cloud around the car as it wound the way through the woods to the parking lot where we were waiting for him. He was so angry. He was so angry he didn't speak. My dad had a temper. I've told you about his temper before. But my dad had a temper. I can only imagine how much he had been seething all the way down from our house to Great Adventure. He pulled up. I reached for the door. He didn't even look at me. My sister got in the back. (laughs) I was going to get in the back too, but I was afraid he'd be offended if I didn't sit up front with him. So I very gingerly got into the front seat and sat next to this brooding hulk of a man, glaring straight ahead, thinking thoughts that I probably didn't want to know anything about. We drove home without a single word being spoken for over an hour. And I could feel the anger radiating off of him. Now, it's not like I did anything on purpose. I'd driven my car down to Great Adventure. The car broke down. It wouldn't start. I needed a ride. Who else am I going to call? But he was so angry that this happened, that it required him to leave the house, that it made him drive more than an hour to a place he'd never been before and would never go again. And he was just steaming. And I know he felt bad about it, and I know he felt bad about it because he actually gave me a card two days later apologizing for his behavior. My dad apologizing to me for his behavior. Now, like I said, not a word was said, but he knew that he had behaved badly and he was angry at the situation, not at me. I still have that card. And every once in a while, I pull it out just to remind myself of how cool my dad was. The other incident where he saved my bacon was uh, when he rescued me after the great bike accident. I haven't told the story of the great bike accident yet. I'll give you a very short version now. The great bike accident involved me and one of my friends in the neighborhood, Vinny, racing down the street at a high rate of speed on our bicycles. We had had the bright idea to race down the road that our house was on. Now, 
Back in the day, our neighborhood was not really a big development. It was a relatively new development in a relatively rural area. It was a paved road, but the road also had piles of gravel on it. Why? Well, because during the winter times, the local trucks would come by, the county trucks would come by with sanders and gravel and throw that on the road to make them less slippery. We didn't have street sweepers. We didn't have a lot of traffic on the road. So the gravel would just stay on the road and slowly accumulate on the shoulders of the road. So by late spring, early summer, there was a good half an inch of gravel on the shoulders of the road and still some gravel in the middles of the road. When you're riding a bike, you don't really think about that because you don't ride in the gravel. You ride around it. You ride in the lanes. You don't you don't get yourself caught up in the gravel because it's dangerous. If you're riding a bike, you could have the bike slide out from under you as you're riding along. Well, that's exactly what happened. My friend and I are racing down the road. He's on his five-speed racing bike, and I'm on my Schwinn five-speed chopper. For those who don't know what a chopper bicycle is, it's similar to the chopper motorcycle, except it's a bicycle. It has a big back wheel and a little tiny front wheel, and it was my pride and joy. And I swore to my friend that my little chopper would go faster than his racing bike, and so we decided to put that to the test. And we started pedaling down that road as fast as we possibly could. Now, the road we lived on was a slope going up a hill if you went towards the school, and if you're leaving the school, going down a hill towards our house. And of course, we started at the school, heading down towards our house, so we were going downhill. Now, I was 12, 13 years old at the time, and I was not going to lose. I was pedaling like my pants were on fire, and I had to get to the lake to put them out. I was going. So was my friend. It would have been one thing if the road was a straight shot from the school down to my parents' house. But of course it wasn't. There was a giant S-curve about halfway down, and we're pedaling as fast as we can into the S-curve. And if you know anything about physics, as you go into a curve, you tend to go towards the outer edge of the curve. And that's what I did. Unfortunately for me, I was on the right side of the lane, closest to the little pile of gravel that had accumulated over the months since the winter time. And yes, you can see it coming. I went just a little too wide on the curve. My tires got caught in the gravel and the bike slid out from underneath me. I didn't have a speedometer on the bike. My friend did have a speedometer and he tells me we were doing close to 40 miles an hour down the hill as fast as we could go at the time that I lost control of my bike in a pile of gravel. If you've ever fallen off a bike, it's not a pleasant experience. It's especially not pleasant if you fall off the bike in a pile of gravel going 40 miles an hour. That's what I did. I bounced down the road probably for 100 yards. Bounced in the gravel, bounced over the gravel, bounced through the gravel, and wound up landing in one of the neighbor's yards about 100 yards from where I lost control of the bike. By the grace of God, nothing was broken. But boy, oh boy, was I gushing blood. <laughs> I had blood coming from various parts of my body that I didn't even know existed. My head, my back, my hips, my knees. My knees were in really bad shape. So I remember laying there in the front yard of this neighbor <laughs> as if I'd been shot. And it sure as hell felt like I had been because 
everything hurt. I was just lying there. My friend hit the brakes. This was Vinny, my my cohort in crime, as my mother used to call him. And he skidded to a stop and came running up to me. And I just lay there. Get my dad. And Vinny hopped on his bike and bicycled to my house. Now, we were still a good quarter of a mile from the house, plus the 300-foot driveway. Now, the neighborhood kids had seen the accident. They came running up because they were all waiting at the finish line to see who was going to win. So they came running up the hill and formed a half circle around my poor, beat-up body in the neighbor's yard. And I just lay there. I thought I thought I was going to die. I was just in so much pain. I was just moaning the blood. I'm trying to stop the bleeding on my legs and my arms hurt when I reach for my legs. Oh, it was horrible. And then this vision appeared coming up the hill. It's my dad in the obligatory white V-neck t-shirt, dark blue Bermuda shorts this time. He hadn't taken the time to put on his combat boots because they would have required lacing. Instead, he was wearing black socks and a pair of brown leather sandals that he'd slipped on over his black socks. Now again, I remember this vividly as if it was yesterday because this is a sight you don't often see. This intimidating man in his blue Bermuda shorts, his black socks, and his flip-flops hustling up a hill, huffing and puffing, trying to save his son from whatever demons had chased him onto the yard and thrown him there to bleed out. I learned after the fact that Vinny had pounded on the door frantically and had told my dad, You've got to come. He's just up the road. You've got to come. He's just up the road. Well, just up the road to my dad is very different from just up the road to Vinny. My dad would have brought the car had he known it was quite as far as it had been because he wound up having to having to go all the way back to the house get the car and load me into it because there was no way he was carrying me back to the house and there was no way I was going to be able to walk it because I was just a mess I was just a mess but the thing I remember aside from the colorful outfit is that he was there he was there in as quick as his little legs would carry him but he was there And I guess that's what I remember most about my dad. No matter what, he was there. That's really the lesson that I learned from my dad. If you're a dad, no matter what, be there. And that's what I try to do for my kids. Now, my kids are all older now, and they've got their lives. They do their thing. And every once in a while, they remember me. (laughs) But the thing is, and the thing that I think they all know, is that no matter what, I'm there. If they need me, I'm there. And that I got from my dad. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you once again for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time to spend your time with me and listen to my stories and just share my memories. I I can't thank you enough for that. Until next time, you take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.